I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. Today is a really exciting conversation as far as I'm concerned because we're talking about inclusion and diversity in the workplace. What was so exciting for me about this interview here is that we're talking about diversity in the corporate workplace. However, it astounded me to see how many of the things we talked about actually are applicable to everyday life that have nothing to do with business. It is so easy to go through life thinking of everything through our paradigm. What's life like for me? What do I need to do today? What are my challenges? But in this conversation, we really open up our minds to thinking, what's it like to be someone else? How would it feel if I didn't have the advantages and privileges that I have? What is it like for someone to be scared to talk about who they are or show their true colors because they're not sure what the repercussions and consequences are going to be? As you listen to this interview, I really want to call your attention to opening up these questions inside of yourself. How can I open up my mind and my heart to other people's experiences and how can I have more empathy for what it's like for them to go through their lives as they experience it? Secondly, what can I do whether or not I'm the member of a specific diverse group of people to make life better for them, better for me, and better for all of us? I'm so excited to have Jennifer Brown on the podcast today for this interview. She is the author of a brand new book called How to Be an Inclusive Leader, where she talks about all of her experiences in working with companies on the topics of inclusion and diversity, as well as her own diversity story, which she talks about here in this interview as well. Jennifer is a leading diversity and inclusion expert. She's a dynamic keynote speaker, a best-selling author, an award-winning entrepreneur, and she's the host of the Will to Change podcast, which uncovers true stories of diversity and inclusion. As the founder, president, and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, Jennifer's workplace strategies have been employed by some of the world's top Fortune 500 companies and nonprofits to help their employees bring their full selves to work and feel welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. Let's talk to Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer Brown. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Greg. I'm happy to be here. You know, you've said that everyone has their own diversity story, and I'm looking forward to asking you more about that. But can we start with your story of diversity? Mm, Yes, indeed. I, well, it was a bit unexpected. I came out to myself as a member of the LGBT community Mm. when I was 22. Okay. And that has a a way of changing your life. Um, Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Really. Uh, realizing that, uh, wow, uh, this is uh, not just as uncomplicated as who you love, but all of the ramifications with your family and acceptance in society and employment opportunities and all yeah, that. Sure. Um, and so, for somebody who'd come from a very privileged background, 
it was kind of the first moment I think I was very aware of a part of me and my truth that, you know, may not have so much privilege or advantage and in fact carry some disadvantage slash stigma, stereotypes, bias, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I think, a big wake up call for me. And, um, but I was, I actually kind of took to it quickly. I was, I became very comfortable. I was very involved in the LGBT community you know, movement, if you will, um, yeah. even from those early days, and I continue to be. Um, but in the meantime, though, I was also uh, an opera singer. Uh, so oh my goodness! <laughs> this wow. Is the other part of my story, yeah. So I was always singing, and um, I, I worked in some nonprofits. So I was also an activist in my twenties. But I really wanted to be a singer, and so I got mm. to move to New York to study opera. Uh, lucky me. And I was relatively closeted at the time, out to my friends, but I think that at the time, and even today, there's not that many out and proud performers, I'd say, uh, female performers in mm-hmm. the music and theater world and the mm-hmm. opera world. So, And that was even more true back then. So, um, okay. so I trained in opera, and sadly, I had to get vocal surgery a couple times because my instrument just didn't have the stamina, and I mm. put it through a lot um, okay. in my training. And so... Yeah, so sometimes that happens. Um, people don't talk about it that much, but yeah. I and I didn't. But I had to get it and um, recovered. But I would realize after several rounds, I realized this is not going to be my living. There's just no I way see, I can sure. do it as much as I want to. So um, I reinvented. I had some friends who said they had reinvented from stage careers. And they said, you know, you're great on stage. Why don't you become a leadership trainer? You know, we think mm. you'd be really good at that. And turns out I was, and I loved it. And okay. I went, got a second master's in human capital and organizational development or org change. We call mm. it a lot of different things. Basically, it's in the HR world. Yeah. And I um, became a head of HR. I became a learning professional. I became a facilitator. I got laid off from corporate America, started my own company. And then back to the future, I kind of was able to dovetail my LGBT identity and my network into my what is now my client base, which is mm. that we we basically serve corporate America. And I've had my own company for 10 years. We do leadership and diversity work for large corporations. And many of our clients, particularly as I was starting my business, were my friends in the advocacy movement who were trying to influence their companies to you know, take a certain stand on a certain policy or introduce yeah. domestic partner benefits or have a better marketing plan. And so, yeah, so we sort of pivoted around that. Um, I loved it. It was very personal. And so mm. the mission of my company now is feels very much like I'm making the world a better place for people that were the younger version of me. Yes. And um, many who still don't have a voice in the workplace, which is a lot of people. <laughs> well, can I ask you, Jennifer, what was it like for you as a member of the LGBTQ community in the corporate world before you started your own company? Did you notice things that stood out that you then use now that you are coming into companies and advising them? Yeah, did I experience bias personally? I would tell you that I think the privileged parts of my identity, the way I think about it now, is those parts really shielded me from a lot of the bias and straight up homophobia that others might experience, right? Uh, Because, you know, I walk through the world as a white person, number one. Number two, (laughs) I'm a, I'm a, I'm a feminine expressing woman. Yes. So I'm a, I identify as cisgender, mm-hmm. um, cisgenderness, meaning I'm not trans or I'm not gender non-binary. So yeah. that my sense of my gender matches the body of the gender of the body I was born in, which is yes. 
so that that's made my life easier. Yeah. I'm not saying better or worse, just different. Yes. And so I was able to what we call pass, you know, in the business world. I don't mm, need to have people know who I am and they don't know who I am when I walk in the door. And yeah. so a lot of us, when we speak about um, diverse identities, visible and invisible, this is a really important distinction because a lot of us walk around and carry invisible aspects of diversity that we're, mm. many of us are terrified of others discovering. I see. And then yeah. there's others of us where our diversity is like right in the front and there's no way somebody can't notice that I'm black or can't notice that I have a disability. Like the second I walk in the room, and by the way, if I'm a person of color and I'm also a woman and I also identify as LGBTQ, mm. that's what we refer to as intersectionality, which is mm. the particular confluence of multiple stigmatized identities and sort of walking through the world that way, particularly in a business world that doesn't reflect any of those identities. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, you walk in the room and you're like, so I wonder if it's going to hurt me more right now that I'm female in a team full of men mm. or that I'm black and it's a, it's a white team or God forbid they should know that I also am a member of the LGBT community. So I right. really need to keep that like way deep buried. What do you hear from people who are like you just described? What toll does it take on them personally to be in a situation where they feel like they have I don't know what the right term is, uh, so much that they stand out in a certain way or that they have so much mm -hmm, to overcome. Mm -hmm. what, what emotional toll does that take on them? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I don't want to presume that it's a negative for everyone. There are some people that really are pros at making lemonade out of lemons. I mean, yeah. they, you know, they use it to their advantage. They're comfortable. They're outspoken. They're probably extroverts, right? And mm -hmm. those are the people you might say, that might say to you, what, you know, what do you mean? I love being who I am. Like I, yes. you know, I, I made peace with it. And if you're, if you have a problem with it, it's your problem. You know, I envy, <laughs> right. I envy those, pre those people. I am a people pleaser, have been since mm. a very young age. So like yes, I'm overly sensitive and very intuitive. So picking up on all kinds of subtext and things that aren't said. And so for me, I was always sort of extra, extra sensitive, probably perhaps when I didn't need to be. But I yeah. think um, to answer your question, tons of people are walking around in workplaces minimizing and downplaying parts of themselves they don't are not sure how they will be re re responded to yes. whether they will be embraced whether they will break relationships or hurt relationships in careers right mm. and and therefore i think a lot of people are making decisions to not divulge or to mm. kind of hide in plain sight if you will like if yeah. some people know something about you mm -hmm. it's certainly something you don't talk about and i think well, I'll tell you a scary statistic. 50% yeah. of LGBTQ people are closeted in the workplace wow. today. And that was yeah. a statistic from last year. So 50% oh. of people today, like, and when most people sit around and say, oh, please, like, we have gay marriage, like, everything's fine. Right. <laughs> it's not, it's not fine. And it, there's still so much fear and trepidation. And that's not just true for the gay community and work. It's dis disabilities. People with disabilities are very loath to surface that if they can if it can be hidden yeah. because they look at their company and their coworkers and they think to themselves why should i be the first and mm, what kind mm -hmm. of risk am i being asked to take by checking that box and effectively you know declaring or coming out how will i be supported and what yeah. does this company really know about me yeah. like does it talk about people like me does it understand my issues mm -hmm. is it is it going to walk the talk and not just talk a big game? Right. You know, so I think we're all kind of watching our employer and saying to ourselves, 
how is this going to go? And sure. let me take the path of, of safest, least resistance. Right? Well, yeah, that does make so much sense. And 50% seems so high. And actually, I, I, I feel sad about that. And yet, I can understand I why it exists in the ways you were explaining. And you do preach for people to bring their full selves to work. And I love that you mm-hmm. do that. I can see that being a terrifying proposition for somebody, but <laughs> how do right. you help them get there? Because I can think of a lot of maybe mottos where people in business would say, well, uh, this is business, not pleasure. And so I don't, I don't want to be all of myself. I don't want to talk about all the things that are deep and meaningful, least of all my sexual orientation. So I see so many positives. One of the things you say in your book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, is that when people bring all of who they are to their work, then they get all of their brilliance, right? They get all of their mm-hmm. intuition. They can use all of who they are. I love what you preach. And I wonder, how do you help people get there? Because I think it would be so scary to do so. Yeah, it is. Well, like I said, some some people's personality makes it easier to be the first, right? And mm-hmm. kind of and blaze the trail for others and thank goodness for the fearless among us right those of us who don't mind not only don't mind that but maybe even view it as a differentiator right Mm. um there is plenty of so many brave pioneers in the workplace many of whom are my clients and friends who are teaching this giant organization and literally putting their jobs on the line in some ways to say hey you know i'm a black woman and may, you know, maybe I'm LGBTQ, maybe I'm not, but like I, I'm not going to sweep this under the rug. I'm going to talk about my experience. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to give feedback. I'm going to believe that the organization and my and my leadership and my manager want to be better mm-hmm. about like understanding my experience. And and so thank goodness for you know those of us who are blazing that trail for the many many more of us who are kind of quiet, right? We're sort mm-hmm. of hanging back and and we're looking to follow. So I would say that, I mean, your question was about, you know, how do we get more people to bring their full selves to work? There's something about critical mass, right? Uh, you yes. don't, many of us don't want to be the first. So um, this is why there's something in corporate America called um, affinity groups. And maybe your audience knows about these. But hmm. in the companies I work with, which is like Fortune 1000 companies, most of them have diversity networks, which is the women's group, the LGBT group, the black leader network, the Hispanic leader network, the people with diverse abilities network. And there are thousands. And in some of my clients, tens of thousands of people in these, Um, Mm. like 20% of their workforce. I was just talking to a pharma client, 20% of them are involved. And so these groups are powerful. They're empowering. They give voice to a certain community's experience who's underrepresented often and not really well understood. Mm -hmm. And they enable this group to basically navigate, feel that they're not alone in navigating the experience of being XYZ at a certain company. And they can commiserate, they can generate ideas and brainstorm, they can support each other, they can get visibility because by the way, a lot of times these companies know that they have a cha- they're challenged when it comes to attracting and retaining certain diverse talent. I mean, there's probably yes. not a company out there that is not like seriously worried about this problem. <laughs> it's like yeah. widespread. Yeah. And so so they look to these affinity groups to understand and educate themselves. Well what 
what challenges do you face and what what can the company do what can leaders do what can managers do to mm. mediate that like what yeah. can we do to remove obstacles what can we do to make you feel more welcome what 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 could our marketing do what could our engagement um, work do what could mm. our learning and development programs look like to support you how could you be mentored you know, differently yeah. or more, and by whom, you know, all those questions are really good to ask. And, and so if you can be a part of this group or start such a group in your organization, you'll find, you'll find your people mm, <laughs> and yeah. you'll find this like incredible army. And by the way, also of allies, you know, uh, for, for the gay networks, there's tons of straight allies who are in these groups yes. who literally are like, let me use my voice. Like, how mm. do you want me to support you? Um, same with, same with all the communities. I think, you know, the women's networks wish more ma male allies yeah. showed up and did this. Yeah. Um, I think we need way more, you know, white allies for racial justice. Yes. We don't really, we're not having that conversation in corporate. We do see allies for people with disabilities. Um, yeah. So I, I think that the biggest ally communities, honestly, are the LGBT allies and the disabilities community allies. Yeah. Um, but we really need to see more in the other groups, I think. We need to make this all of our conversation. I love that. <laughs> that is such an enormous part <laughs> of what I believe in. And you just touched on three things in that in that topic, which is one, people can align themselves with others who are in the same community that they are to help empower them to bring more of themselves uh, to their lives and to their work. The other is businesses incorporating much more inclusivity and diversity and understanding to the way they're running their business. And lastly, people who are not members of that diversity group coming forward and being allies. And I, I agree with what you're saying. It's happening more than ever before in many different ways. And we still need so much more of it, um, <laughs> which is, you know, and, and it makes me think of something that, I, that you've said, which is that a quote of yours, even middle-aged white men have a diversity story, you've said. <laughs> Can you tell <laughs> us what you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Well, I so as I travel through mostly executive boardrooms, which is where I spend the bulk of my time, it will often be a largely male audience, a largely white audience, because at that level in companies, that's what the composition looks like currently. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think my personal philosophy is that that group has felt kind of left behind in the diversity conversation, not sort of in a poor me kind of way, but more more of a, que a genuine question, which is where do I fit in? If mm. I am white, if I'm male, diversity, does it not apply to me? Yeah. So we really try to talk about actually inclusion and exclusion as something that's part of the human experience. We all know what it feels like to be in a closet, if you will, of some kind. So the, the LGBTQ experience may be very unique, mm -hmm. but the experience of being afraid and therefore minimizing or hiding something to fit in, to assimilate, to be part of a norm, a perceived norm is a very actually very universal experience. So um, when I open it up in that way, people in my rooms will say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm one of the male executives here, but I'm Jewish mm -hmm. and I don't really talk mm -hmm. about my faith that much. And, um, you know, you all scheduled a meeting over my high holidays when I was new here and I went home to my wife and I said, should I say anything? And I decided not to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we are a year later, you know, we have stories like that. We have, um, I had an executive say I didn't go to college and I don't mm -hmm. talk about it and my kids don't know. And now mm -hmm. I'm a COO and I, I'm ashamed about it yeah, and yeah. it's not something I want to talk about. 
we have, gosh, a CEO stood up in one room and in front of all of these employees and said, I grew up in an alcoholic, abusive family and wow. a very bro- broken home. And mm-hmm. I, I, as I'm listening here, I'm thinking about like, what, what did it mean in terms of me as a leader? Like what, how did it inform my, my values and my approach and how might it help to surface some of these things that employees are bringing to work every day? Mm-hmm. But when nobody talks about them, then we can't normalize them. Yes. And then we can't deal with the fact that, like, so many people are dealing with addiction in their family right now. So many people are dealing with mental illness and mental health issues in themselves or a loved one. Um, So many are struggling with caregiving and parenting and sometimes at the same time um, and are really, really feeling the need for flex work arrangements. But do we, we don't say anything because we don't see anyone mm-hmm. in around us that has asked for and been given the understanding and the flexibility that we need. And so, yeah. and so we stay silent. Yes. And so this is my appeal. Every time I speak, you know, I say, I get up on stage and I, I make sure that I don't take the passing privilege because people will assume I'm straight and I could honestly walk off that stage and never correct them. Yeah. And so I try to say, look, I was vulnerable here on this stage today. I showed you this. I took this chance. I showed this courage. Whether or not I was in the mood, whether or not, you know, I felt safe <laughs> doing mm, that or not. Yeah. And and the workplace is made up of these, I think, cura- this these moments of courageous honesty where you you actually you actually do change the culture with that one bringing that one piece of somebody else invariably will say I've never seen someone that looks like you with that job or asking for that or, Mm -hmm. you know, creating this flex arrangement or balancing all that you do. How do you do it? You know, then it just generates this problem solving instead of this hiding energy. It's a, I've seen one person that does this and now I know I can do it or I know I can be it. You know, we say you got to see it to be it. If we're all hiding, particularly if we're very senior, there are so many eyes on us yeah. and they're watching us all the time for what's okay. And if we decide something's not okay, that just perpetuates the culture. What you're saying is so dialed into everything I preach and everything I believe in. Mm. And what we talk about a lot on this show, which is the, the magic word you used about a minute or two ago is shame. And that's what I would request that people ask themselves. What are the things that I have hidden from other people? What are the things that Mm. I feel ashamed about that I haven't shared with other people? And by the way, we all know there's a time and place to share everything. So uh, I don't mean because if someone doesn't walk in as a CEO and tell their whole company that they're an abuse survivor, that they're doing something wrong. Like I really understand that there's there's a time and a place. However... I believe that is a road to empathy and understanding others so that when I have heard people talk about things that are deep and meaningful and even shameful to them, it helps me realize that maybe I'm not so bad. And to me, that's such a healing proposition that the more we understand each other and look outside of ourselves, the more we can realize how worthy and lovable and great we are, even though our brain and our body has told us unconsciously at times that there's parts of us that we have to hide. So do you find that when people find their own unique diversity story, that they are able to be more empathetic and maybe even help blaze a trail for other people who are in a diverse group? Yeah, and I will I will make the, the important point, which is, as Kenji Yoshino, somebody that I really admire, always says, and that I repeat, hmm. let's not make this about the pain Olympics. 
And people know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. And you do too, right? It's like instantly you understand that this could devolve into this comparison of sort of the oppression, the hierarchies of oppression. Like, and, and therefore I think when we do that though, it ends up making a lot of people who potentially are, are taking baby steps towards connecting into this conversation, it mm. ends up kind of scaring people off again. Mm. Um, and so what's important is not comparing the relative like severity of people's stories or experiences because it's just sort of, I'm not sure, ultimately it's helpful in the workplace environment. Yeah. What's I think most important is to, if you've ha- been the recipient of unearned you know, privilege or advantages in your life, like I mm. think I have been. Like, okay. I think my, my coming out process was if I fell from it, it was onto a plush carpet, is wow. what I like to say, well right? Said. I was, sure. or a trampoline. Mm. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. because of all the other ways that I started life on third base. And yeah. so when I carry that, my diversity story, I see my LGBTQ story and my coming out, though, as, as tempered and informed by all these other privileged parts of my identity, right? Yeah. And so, when I think about the role that I, the responsibility that I have to stand alongside or behind others, I can do that a lot of that because um, it's safer for me to walk through the world mm. looking as I look I and presenting in the way that I present, right? So mm-hmm. if somebody thinks about their diversity story, be it a moment in time, be it something that you think, oh, that's so small, it doesn't really matter, it's not consequential, or mm. it doesn't compare to somebody else's. You know, I think that you can say that to yourself and think about that, but I, my advice would be not to get stuck there and kind yeah. of recede, but really to say, so this is my story, one of my parts of my story, you know, maybe someday I'll tell it publicly, maybe someday it will be a way for me to generate empathy. Mm. But in the meantime, I want to create space for other stories to be told that are so important that are never heard. Yeah. I think that 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 is my goal, is making space for others so that empathy can be generated around, you know, those who who are struggling more than I am to bring their full self to work. Because I have all these other pluses in my plus column. Like I have, there's so many more things that are easier for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I like to think, I always say, I need allies as an LGBT person. Mm -hmm. Um, I need, I need, I need those boosters. I need those strong advocates that say, Jennifer, I'll say it. If you don't want to say it, I'll say it. Or I'll stand up for you. Or, you know, I got your back. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, yeah. And as a woman, for men to support me in that yes. way is is huge, yeah. huge. I need to turn around and do the same for others because I'm the ally for other for some others, right? Yeah. And so I, the way I think of it is it just you know what goes around comes around, and we need to be activating either asking for that help or giving that help yeah. all the time, like in yeah. various permutations. You are doing that which you're preaching, which is to need allies, but also to be an ally, especially when you find yourself with an easier road than other people you are allied with. And one of the things that I think is so important to do, and it's coming up more and more in a lot of different discussions, is standing up for people, even if they're nowhere to be seen. 
even oh, if yes. they can't hear it, um, it's been talked a lot uh, about, yeah. uh, let's say, in the Gillette commercial that got very, very famous about five, six months ago of if a man is mm-hmm. making cat calls at a woman to be able to say, hey, 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 yeah, come on, let, you know, let, mind your right. own business, let her walk <laughs> down the street. Or if, um, mm-hmm. you know, someone says, ooh, I this, I that, or if they, you know, want uh, think it's funny to insult a, a certain group of people and there's, quote, unquote, no one of that group in the room to be able to say, hey, I know you probably don't mean harm, but I don't think those jokes are very funny. I think that is a strong, it is a difficult Mm -hmm. thing for some people to do, but suddenly they are the outsider uh, in that moment. But I think that is a daring and courageous thing that has to start happening. What do you think we're missing as a culture in appreciating and respecting people who are different than we are? Hmm. Giant question. Um, <laughs> why? Why are we not better at this? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the question. The, the scientists that study unconscious bias, of course. I mean, um, I, I really recommend everyone listening go take the Harvard Implicit Association Test. It's mm. called the IAT. It's free, and it's online. And sadly, it will show you how biased you are, and you'll probably be surprised. Wow. I mean, really, like, to be human is to be biased, yes, right? And yes. So when we teach it, it, it's very much in our wiring, right? It is, it's in our teaching, of course, in our socialization, but it's also in our, our sort of deep lizard brain. Yeah, right. <laughs> in terms of, oh, that's unfamiliar, doesn't look like me, therefore, I'm scared of it, or I'm going to avoid it, or, you know, I'm not going to be curious about it. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I, I've never... I have never felt that way, but I'm sure there are, there are thoughts that come up in my head, even though I do this work all day long for, mm-hmm. you know, over a decade mm-hmm. that shock me, you know, mm-hmm. and because I say, where did that come from? Did yeah. that come from my parents? Did it come from, wow, you know, that yeah. I, somebody like me would, would, that thought would pop in my head. So I think, you know, we can't eradicate our bias because it was literally our survival mechanism. Yes. You know, it told us to flee or to fight mm-hmm. um, as, you know, primal people. Uh, but but we can override it. We can see it as it happens and we can actually make different choices. And I yeah. think people, but people in my experience have to be told and it has to be pointed out that they're making those decisions. Honestly, mm-hmm. most of it's not bad intent yeah. at all. It is... This is the way I've always done it. This is the way I was taught to do it. Um, this is the fastest way to do it. Yeah. I want to be comfortable. Like in the professional setting, it's I want to hire this person because they went to the same school as me and therefore yes. I can vouch for them. Right. You know, I don't have time to look for women or diverse candidates for this position because we're just, you know, we're trying to fill positions as fast as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of ways we tell ourselves that we don't have time for this and that it's too risky. And I think Uh, those are the things I spend a lot of my time trying to take apart to say, guess what? You don't make time for this now. You're going to pay the price later on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because the world world is diversifying and this is not something you can kind of opt into or opt out of based on, particularly as leaders and anyone in business, like the world the world is becoming non-white and mm-hmm. consumer decisions are being made by women, right? Yes. Women are controlling the generational wealth, you know, with every transfer. So, you know, it behooves every professional to think, who's on my team? Who am I hiring? And can I build an organization, an environment around me where people are comfortable of all kinds of backgrounds and identities? Because we have to serve a world that's of all kinds of backgrounds and identities. Yeah, yeah. So the thinking goes that whatever teams are building products and services and marketing schemes and whatever, like whoever's 
facing the world needs to look like the world in mm. order to do this well. And, yeah. you know, when we look at like, I don't know if we're talking about ads, right? The PepsiCo ad that mm. got pulled, the one of one of the Kardashian sisters is in like a faux Black Lives Matter kind of scenario, mm. mar- a March thing. It's really, it was, <laughs> it was only up for like a day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually but, hadn't heard of it. But, yeah, look it up, the PepsiCo ad. Um, mm. And she like literally hands a Pepsi can like across the picket line mm. to the cops. Like it's it's so on so many levels. SNL wow. actually did a really funny <laughs> skit on how bad this ad was that oh I also God. recommend you go and look it up. Yes, Anyway, it's, per- it's like a perfect scenario because it's like, you know, you have to ask the question, who was on the creative team? Mm. Who was at the table? If they were, if diverse faces were around that table, were they invited to contribute? Were their contributions taken seriously? Yeah. Right? Because right. like, I, it's like sort of a, if this, then that, if this, then that, like literally. So if I had sort of could reverse engineer, how did that ad get out there only mm. to be pulled and be like this super costly, embarrassing yep. mistake for yeah. this company? It's because, like, who was involved in that conversation? Who was listened to? Who wasn't? Because there's no, I can tell you, no person of color (laughs) would have let that ad go all the way to production and to the market. Like, it just, it wouldn't have happened. So, you know, so when you know these things, like, you're like, wow, okay, let's not get ourselves as a brand, as a company into that kind of situation because we had so much bias that we had no idea we had. Yeah. We literally put teams together that had groupthink or we had diversity for window dressing and we didn't really take that diversity seriously. Yeah. We did yeah. not, we didn't really, there's a difference between listening and hearing, you yes. know? <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> you know, I've had, Jen- Jennifer, yeah. I've, I've given um, talks before and teaching from time to time and had people once or twice come out to me afterwards and say, you know, this one word that you used in your presentation on a PowerPoint, some people find that word, they bristle at it, they find it offensive, and I feel, uh, simultaneously feel a couple things. One is embarrassed that I didn't think of that or know that ahead of time, but the other is happy that I'm the type of person that can take that in and say, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought of it. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. And I'm not talking about anything that's overtly discriminatory or anything that I even would have considered, but it it took someone coming up and saying, just so you know, there are people, uh, you know, maybe even yep. a tiny group of people, but a group of people who that specific word isn't what they prefer. And that has been helpful to me. And that, and mm. what I hear you say in so much of your message is we can't just say if you are in a group that is diverse from the masses, from the majority, it's on you mm-hmm. to bring all of yourself to work, tell everybody all the ways that you are diverse and include that in who you are as a business person. You really say it is so much on the shoulders and the heads of the business leaders of the corporations, of the people in charge, to look at themselves potentially without shame and without guilt, if they can do it, and see where their blind spots are, see where they're missing it, and learn. I love this assessment you gave uh, for us all to go take, because I agree with you, there are things that we have no idea are our blind spots, but they are. So... When you work with companies, you do try to change the culture of the company first and foremost. Is that right? Yes. And it starts at the top, though. I'll always say, and every good consultant will tell you this, that uh, the the C-suite, the CEO 
in the person in the CEO spot and the board and all of those folks are really important to get on board. And then they, you know, what they say goes, right? Because yes. of their positional power, if nothing else. But yeah. also you'd hope CEOs are passionate people. They People follow them not just because they have to, but because they want to. There's a yes. reason that they're at that role, that level. Yeah. And so when, when a CEO really role models vulnerability and their own diversity story, and when they can say things like LGBTQ mm-hmm. and that they don't like stumble over it or you ah. know, make a mess out of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, when, when, when they've really taken the time to familiarize themselves with the language, language is so important of each different community that might be different from them. Um, and they can speak fluently about that experience. I think, I, I mean, I, as a white woman that stands on stage, but is the diversity speaker, mm. I spend a lot of my time reflecting the experiences and stories of others. Yep. Like not yep. just mine. Yep. Because, and then, and then when people come up to me, they thank me and they say, thank you for bringing that into the room. You know, mm. I think that you're heard in a certain way and you spent some of your time talking about my experience. Mm. And I thank yeah. you for that because my yeah. experience doesn't get talked about. Right. And so that feels incredible for me because I have that platform. Yes. To, and I have that opportunity. So what I would like to see for senior leaders is use the time, the real estate you have, the bandwidth you have, the the eyeballs that you have, the reach yeah. that you have, you know, to to expand people's understanding to put yourself in the center of that and use you know your voice as an advocate mm. to show to show how somebody who might be white and male and straight and cisgender mm-hmm. can be an inclusive leader you know and really yes. weave inclusion into everything you do and say as a priority if you kind of wake up thinking about that which i honestly think every c suite person should be doing these days because I it's agree. it's critical for followership it, on so many it's critical for marketing it's critical yes. for business by you know vibrancy and mm-hmm. viability but if you can be thinking about that you will make a different you will become beloved you know you won't just be oh that's our ceo and whatever like he's fine you know we <laughs> i don't right. think much about him <laughs> to or her to saying, yeah. I, I love working for this person because I feel seen by them. Yes. And I feel that I can tell, because we can tell, mm-hmm. I can tell they've made time to, you know, sit in our affinity group meetings. You know, they've yeah. come and spent time with this community. They go and, you know, m- do our marches with us. You know, they they offer to do the opening remarks at, at our big, you know, multicultural talent conference and talk about what they've learned you know, and how they've how they've supported you know different leaders and been supported by woman leaders. You know, yes. I think we talk about when we talk about our role models, when we quote people, it's amazing how often men, as a woman, I notice how often men get quoted. I mean, mm. men quote other men. We, you know, when I look at a male author, I look at their testimonials, and they're all written by men. Yes. You know, and sometimes I wonder, like, did anybody notice that these are men living in a world of men? Like, literally, yeah. it's just this closed circle yep and um i have a friend wade davis who's in the book who works mm. a lot with men and he's a gay african-american ex-nfl football player so oh, he's yeah. like you know he's he's really such a unicorn and such a mm. wonderful human and sure. um, he's but he walks in and says um his first activity is he says, I want to know how many books each of you has read this year. Mm. And so he puts them into small groups. They like, it's a competition. They try to get the highest number. Mm. And then, then right out of the gate, he gets the person up that's read the most. And he says, so how many of those books are written by women? Oh, wow. And the, invariably, 
the person is just stunned, you know, mm-hmm. and then it goes from there. He says, as an advocate for women and for gender equality, I challenge myself to read more from women. I watch more movies by women. Mm-hmm. I I literally make time to kind of shift my worldview. And like, but you have to proactively because the world will feed you one thing. Yes. So you have to go and seek something else and change your diet. Like mm. literally, you've got to start to, to when so when you storytell, when you give examples, when you shout somebody out, when you recognize somebody, all of these things matter. Yeah. And particularly for un, untold stories and unheralded people, mm-hmm. when you are a person of relative platform and privilege and you choose to acknowledge and talk about and laud and talk about as role models people who are not seen as leaders traditionally you know you are literally shifting your consciousness and you're also creating change in your audience in terms of who they who they think about and so but we have to do this proactively because the world will not feed this to us i i think that is such an important thing for each of us to do and i think if every single person forget every single person if 10 percent of people started doing that and then maybe 20 and 30 i think our (laughs) world changes drastically and i gotta say as we're coming to a close here that i think your book is fantastic one of the things you said is early in the book that the good news is that there isn't a wrong starting point if your intent is to grow and that is that non-shaming message that i was talking Mm -hmm. about earlier it's that you're basically saying all it takes is a spark is what you say a spark to want to do better and things can change drastically that is a hopeful message because it's easy to look at how it's been and even how it is and decide there's nothing I can do. What difference could I make? I'm only one person and I'm just going to continue to go with the tide as opposed to saying, no, I can be one of many people who behind closed doors or in front of tons of people, I can start doing things differently. You spell out in your book that if people want to be more inclusive, that's great. And there are a ton of people out there who want that. Your book tells them how to do it how they can do it in their personal lives and in their business lives. And I hope everybody goes and gets this book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader by Jennifer Brown. And Jennifer, if people are listening to you, they love what you say, they want to hear more about you, hear more from you, read your work, see you on video or podcasts, how do they find you? I love that question. Yes, Hmm. lots of places, lots of places. So How to Be an Inclusive Leader, the book, there's also audiobook. I just finished recording it, which was yes. fun because I used to do voiceovers. So I yeah. love I love, I love talking into a microphone. <laughs> uh, I also have a podcast, just, just like you. I have a mm. podcast called The Will to Change. So please Lovely. check that out wherever you consume your podcast content. Yeah. And um, on social, I am on Twitter at Jennifer Brown. Yes, I've been on Twitter for like a decade, so I got my own name, <laughs> amazingly. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I, I figured it out somehow. Uh, mm. So it's at Jennifer Brown on Instagram. I'm at Jennifer Brown Speaks. And we're on Facebook and LinkedIn, Jennifer Brown Consulting. I speak a lot, and I attend a lot of conferences and uh, so I would recommend folks join our mailing list if they can, mm, and um, that way they can 
you know, we can meet. I'd love to meet people who are listeners of mine and of yours now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to be a resource. And of course, we do just wonderful consulting. I have a team of like 10 to 15 amazing consultants. And every day we're mixing it up in corporate <laughs> boardrooms and training classrooms everywhere yes. talking about everything we've talked about here today. But I'm so proud of the work we do mm-hmm. in not just talking about this from the keynote stage, but also making it real in terms of execution um, and strategy. And we really, we specialize in that. It's like, we're not just going to talk about it and like, and, and whet your appetite. We're actually going to give you the tools to build it. And that's yes. what we're, uh, what our business model is. So if in case any of your listeners work for companies who need to be doing more and mm-hmm. put one foot in front of the other, uh, we are a great partner for that work. Lovely. I feel better knowing that you and your team are out there doing this work, that your book is out there in the world. <laughs> and I think you are making that difference. Um, one company, one CEO, one person at a time. And I just really thank you for your work. And thanks so much for being on here and telling us about it. And, and I hope people who are listening do get a copy of your book or listen to it and realize how they can incorporate these changes into their lives. Because I think it makes such a huge difference. So thanks for joining us, Jennifer. I just so appreciate your time. Thank you, Greg. Okay, so what now? First of all, I want to remind everybody that it is a universal experience to sometimes feel like we're on the outside or like we don't fit in or that things aren't fair. We've all been through that experience. Therefore, it is easy for us to empathize with those who have that feeling, whether in a personal environment or a corporate environment, every day of their lives. Can you imagine what it is like to go through life as a member of a diverse section of the population and the difficulties that that might bring along with it? That, to me, encompasses so much of the journey we have to make is just opening up our minds to how it is for other people and then deciding what actions we need to take in order to make this a better and more inclusive world for everybody. If you have been the recipient of advantages or privileges in your life, which a lot of us have, we can stand behind or stand beside others who haven't. Members of diverse groups of the population need allies and they need boosters, just like Jennifer said. So can we show up and have their back whether or not we belong to that particular group? My answer is yes. In companies, the leaders need to be the way showers. They need to use the bandwidth and the platform that they have to expand people's understanding and to be an advocate for the diverse populations within that company. People follow leaders. So when they see the CEO of a company acting and supporting in a certain way, not only is it easier for others to follow, but everybody wants to follow a leader who is more inclusive. It makes the company a better place. So much of what Jennifer talked about here in this interview was about having the courage to stand forward and inspire others to make the world a better place. She said, there isn't a wrong starting point if our intention is to grow. So if you don't know anything about diverse portions of the population, but you want to help, awesome, start helping today. Learn about other groups, step forward for other groups, and ask questions and try to understand what it's like for other people. Because I think if we truly understand how difficult it is for people who are not like us, then our natural inclination is to show up and want to change and make it better for everybody. 
I loved Jennifer's suggestion that we proactively seek out media, books, movies, and anything else that are created by women because the world is going to feed us what it feeds us. Can we fill ourselves with the writing and the words and the concepts of those who are not the default authors that the world puts in our face. Let's branch out and let's learn and let's support those so that they become much more mainstream. Speaking of which, why not just go get Jennifer's book right now? It's called How to Be an Inclusive Leader by Jennifer Brown. And if you are the member of a diverse segment of our population, don't forget Jennifer's challenge, which is to ask yourself how much of your true authentic self you can bring to your work because she says if we're not bringing all of who we are, we are restricting our true genius to what we can bring to the workplace. And I want to finish today with Jennifer's words. All it takes is a spark to start a huge change. As a result of this conversation, I am feeling that spark to open up, to listen, to grow, and to stand behind and beside other people and try to make a better world for all of us. Are you in? Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P O D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.